Welcome to the Motivational Firewood Radio Show, hosted by keynote speaker, author, and vision board mastery creator, Steve Gamlin. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey there, my friend, Steve Gamlin here. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. Today, I've got a very cool guest. His name is Travis Wells. Travis is a guy. Now, he does, he does a lot of things. And uh, we had an amazing conversation setting up for this conversation. And I want to share as much as I can with you. Put it this way. Travis is a guy who likes to build things up and also likes to blow things up. So that's about what I'm going to give as a description because he's got a very cool story about how he transforms the world around him and has also transformed his own life as well and mentors other people to do it in, in the best way possible. He's a living, breathing example of what's possible when sometimes you don't get the greatest life situations handed to you, but you demand the best from yourself and the people around you, and you align yourself with the best. And that's a big reason why we're here today. Our energies have aligned. We haven't met in person yet, but I said, I want to get this guy on my show. So Travis, welcome to the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel like there should be smoke and fire and all sorts of stuff behind me after that intro. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I can add it in post production. Maybe I'll put a little explosion in there just just to uh, just to to satiate the audience who is looking forward to that. So, explain a bit about. I mean, what got you here? How did you start out in life? And when you were a kid, did you say, "I want to blow things up for a living"? I mean, how did you how did you get started? And what what got you here? That's funny you said that because I just triggered a memory in my mind. I did used to blow stuff up uh, as a kid, you know, get the old Clorox and the uh, light stuff in a bottle. And anyways, uh, that was when I was a kid. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I guess to get to the oil field, I, uh, it was a long journey before that. So I could start there, I guess. Sure. We were in North Carolina. My mom decided to come to Texas because the economy in Texas is so much better. You know, in Texas, you don't have to have a formal education. You can make, you know, six figures, no problem. So she knew that. She packed me up. We left. Um, she kind of worked her way up in the ranks in uh, mortgage and banking and stuff like that. Uh, so I got to see that growing up. So that was pretty cool. I uh, I ended up leaving home uh, around 15 years old because I had an abusive stepfather whenever she remarried. Didn't work out. So I left. Me and my brother got a house. We lived on our own and uh, just uh, started getting tons of life experience from from there, you know. Um, worked construction at night to finish school during the day. Uh, went to uh, go play uh, tennis for a school in Dallas right out of high school, but I never went to class, failed out. So that didn't work out too well. Uh, worked construction there, ended up coming back, um, back home and uh, got into the drilling rigs and uh, met a girl while I was working on the drilling rigs. And I said, man, I can't be gone this long. Um, I got to figure out something else to do. So I went and uh, uh, coached as an assistant tennis coach at a high school in the meantime said, man, there's no money in this. And uh, I opened a side business um, that I had learned from my dad. And in another story we can go over when I went to visit him when he got out of prison, but he was doing scrap metal. And, uh, you know, I had learned I'd learned to do that because he couldn't get a job. He was a felon. Uh, 
So he was doing scrap metal and on the side. So I'd learned that trade from him. So I opened up a, a scrap metal company. And what I would do is I would go to all these oil and gas companies and pick up all their scrap metal. I didn't know they used to be filled with explosives. That's why they had them sitting around and they couldn't dispose of. So I, I saw this metal everywhere and I went pack my trailer, 10,000 pounds by hand, piece by piece. I was like, I'm gonna go sell this stuff. Well, come to find out nobody would take it. Uh, you have to run it through a radiation detector and it kept buzzing hot. And I went, anyway, long story short, I figured out why it was just traces of uh, explosive powder that had already been shot. So it wasn't dangerous. So I went and talked to a commercial uh, vendor into a couple hours away from me into taking this stuff. So I, I had all the oil and gas company scrap metal in South Texas. Um, they were all my clients because I had no competition. Nobody else knew how to sell it. So I was just uh, running back and forth from there, working at the school, doing both things. I was making a thousand, two thousand dollars a day cash, you know, scrapping and then doing my school duties. One day while I was uh, on a scrap route, one of the oil and gas companies said, hey, you know, you want a job? You're a hard worker. We always see you loading the steel by hand. You won't let us help you. I was like, man, how much y'all pay? They said ten dollars an hour. I said, how many hours can I work? They said, as many as you want. Sign me up. You know, I said, just as long as I could do my side business too. And they said, no problem. So that's how all that got started. Wow. And I remember back when I was, you know, in my, my late teens, early twenties, I'm trying to add up in my head, all the different hours you must've been working. And I'm like, man, I was a slacker. And, <laughs> and even then I felt, you know, I was doing 60 hours a week at the radio station and DJing weddings on the weekend. I'm like, man, you just, this guy just dusted me. And I thought I was a busy guy back then. <laughs> Here's something really cool about it though. And this, and this is something that I've seen, you know, in, in looking back and in, in speaking prior to this conversation, you're out there seeing the value in something everybody else said essentially had no value, couldn't be scrapped for money, was damaged goods. And you still, kept going and you found a way for it to work and become profitable for you and to add value for you and provide value for these companies that couldn't get rid of this stuff. I mean, do, does your mind just continuously go there? Like, where's the win in this? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing and feeling that, but I just didn't know if it was a conscious choice in your part or, Hey, I got to eat. So I got to do something. I'm going to just figure this out till I get there. Yeah, it was really just, uh, hey, I need to make more money, right? Because at the school, I wasn't making much. But what was cool is it afforded me a lot of extra time, you know? So I said, well, I can get a steady paycheck and I could figure something out. So what I did have was time, mm -hmm. you know? So it was easy to figure something out because, I mean, you as well as I know, like it, money's easy to make if you just kind of open your eyes, you know? And and I, I saw the need for that because I saw this scrap metal sitting around. I figured, hey, there, there had to be a reason, you know, and just figure it out. And you mentioned earlier, too, and, and I did want to get back to this, that you're, you got this lesson from your dad and your dad had gone to prison. And when he got out, it was very difficult for him to get a job because he was a felon. So your dad, who everybody else was kind of looking at as unusable scrap in some ways, and he, maybe he even felt that way found a value in something and then shared it with you. And then you turned it into a business. So if you don't you know, mind digging back, what's the impact of, of your dad in your life? And, and some people say, well, for better or for worse, here we are. But I'd, I'd love to hear about your background with your dad. Yeah. So my dad went to prison when I was very young. Um, 
So he didn't get out till I was 18. Uh, when he and I don't remember, I don't recall going and seeing him. It was only a couple times, and I was very little. But they say I did. But the only recollections I have of him is when I was 18 and older. So um, he pretty much called me up, you know, when he got out of prison. He was living in Florida. He's like, hey, I'd like to see you. You want to come over here? You know, and he was married because he got married while he was prison to the to the lady he was dating before he went in. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I said, sure. So I went to Florida and he had opened a uh, like a sprinkler system sprinkler company where he was installing people's sprinklers. I guess that was a need there. And then he was, uh, he had bought a van and he was with a trailer and he was hauling the scrap metal. I was like, what in the world do you have going on here? He's like, look, they pay me by however many pounds I could load in this trailer. And I was like, man, that's not a bad deal. And I was like, how do you find it? He's like, look everywhere. He's like, it's just junk to these people. So, you know, I rode around with him and helped him. And then I was you know, just helping him with his business to kind of, uh, for manpower to help him get going and stuff. And I kind of was like, man, there is money in this, you know, but it was, it was time for me to go back, but I had learned some skills, you know, that, uh, that was a very valuable skill actually. Yeah. And, and you pointed out something great too, where we can get the skills from anywhere. If we just sit and look around enough to see who's creating value out there and, and for themselves and for other people and providing a service, you know, so many people look at, and I'm in the personal development world as a speaker and as a coach and a program creator, but so many people look way up the mountain and think these big, you know, lofty guru type people are the ones who have all the wisdom to share when it's people who are working right down there in the mud, doing the work every single day, grinding it out with, you know, scars all over the hands, up and down their bodies from the hard work they do that might just have valuable, as valuable or even more lessons to share and you think of how many people are out there looking down on the common working people or people with a record or people who've struggled with addiction or whatever you know these people that constantly get labeled or looked down upon can turn out to be some of our best teachers i agree 100 percent. you know i came up uh construction oil and gas i was always the grunt you know i thought i was dumb you know what i mean like i graduated second to last of my high school but i mean i never went but still like i could not fathom anything they were teaching me it was like charlie brown like wah, wah. And i was like this isn't for me you know <laughs> so um yeah i definitely i definitely agree some of the smartest people i've met were coming up in the oil and gas industry i mean these people never went to college and they were doing what top level engineers do you know we'd get top level engineer uh, applicants and they couldn't hang with half the people that I worked with. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And as a raised blue collar guy, I mean, my, my grandfather on my mom's side was a lifelong carpenter and finished carpenter and cabinet maker. The guy was genius. And he was just, I was just called him my cute little old man. He was just the nicest, coolest guy, but he could look at something and fabricate anything you needed out of wood to to fill a need or convert something into something more beautiful and my dad as well he had his own carpentry business for a while and i worked with him for a couple of years before i followed my dream being on the radio and eventually doing everything i'm doing now and uh, one of the conversations we've had and something you shared on social media is a major accident that could have derailed it could have killed you but it also could have derailed everything you're doing uh, out there so if you don't mind sharing that and, uh, you know, the physical and even the emotional or mental scars that may have brought and how you overcame those to get back in the game. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, sorry if I jump around in my stories. I've done a lot no of worries. things. So no worries, man. We're 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 I, we're playing volleyball here. We're kicking back and forth over the net and giving everybody yeah. something to uh, to enjoy. Awesome. So yeah, um, I was about twenty one years old, and I was doing. I had a lot of jobs all the time. So like, How was this guy doing that? That I had a lot of jobs. I wore a lot of hats. Yeah. I always figured out how to make money. But anyway, one of my jobs was construction like it had always been. I was working on a remodel um, in Corpus Christi. And one day I went to work and I, my senses weren't completely right thinking about it now. You know, we went out the night before and uh, I wasn't like still drunk or anything or any by any means. But I just my senses weren't, you know, it's, next day I had... I didn't have enough sleep probably, but anyways, I don't know if I could have avoided it, but I was walking on the job site. We just kind of had our little huddle and I was walking in my direction to go work on a part of the house that I was going to work on. And I hear a loud, uh, like crack and I look up and there's a support beam just coming at me and it, it went through my chest and pinned me to the garage of the house. And what it ended up being, it was, it was an awning from the house on the side of the house. It, it just gave way, you know, from some of the work we were doing on other parts of the house, whatever. So it was, you know, a big square, square uh, part at the bottom plate, you know, at the bottom of that pipe. And it was holding up that side of the awning on the house. It was really heavy. So flipped around, uh, went through my chest, broke my ribs. My ribs ended up puncturing my lung. And uh, I was stuck to this garage. I was like, oh, crap. So, like, it it uh, actually moved my heart. But I didn't find that out till till later. So, yeah. So, I just kind of uh, call for help the best I could. And we pull it out. Which, uh, they were like, you should not have done that. It took a lot of it because it was heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, so we pulled it out. When we did pull it out, I fell. You know, all my stuff's broke. I fell to the ground. I looked down. There's just this huge hole. And I'm just like, oh, wow. And then I can't breathe. And it quickly hit me. I said, man, my lung is, my lung must be collapsed. So, like, I just started holding my breath because I was drowning. And I was just kind of taking, like, little, like, little sips, you know, like if you were going in and out of water. Mm. So, I was just imagining that. And, uh. Anyway, I remember I wrapped my blue jean jacket around me. I told my buddy, take me to the hospital. And we went. That dude went through every yard. <laughs> I don't know if he went through. I don't know what he destroyed on the way to the hospital. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. but anyway, made it. So, got there. Doc was like, well, they, they just got me straight into surgery. And when I got up, Doc was like, man, it moved your heart. Uh, all this is broke. We're going to have to rehab you. But you're, you know, you're here, you're good. So I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> wow. And and here you are now, incredible physical specimen, incredibly dedicated to your health, incredibly dedicated to bodybuilding. Your heart, I'm assuming is, I mean, metaphorically, your heart's in a really good place. Hopefully physically it is as well. Yeah. How do, how do you go from the transition to that where so many people would look back on something tragic that happened in their lives and wear that scar as a badge of honor and, you know, hey, back in the day I had this happen. But they never – there's so many people that never push beyond that. You know, their their identity is what happened to them X amount of years ago. Like the people in their 40s and 50s, I'll be 55 this year, who are still talking about their glory days or the worst thing that happened to them 30 years ago. And that's still their identity. 
how'd you get beyond that? And I'm sure there were people that told you, Travis, you'll never be a bodybuilder. You had, you know, you got this scar, you've had this accident, you've got, you know, disconnection there. You can't do this. And I'm sure that there have been people your entire life since that moment telling you what you can't do because of what happened to you. So how, how did you get through that beyond it? And, and how does it continue to inspire you today? That's actually a good point. People do like to tell you what you can't do. <laughs> mm. um, it's just a reflection thing. Um, so it was actually, it sounds, it sounds funny, but you know, we all have things happen to us and I believe there's reasons for everything. And, um, I was kind of wild before that. I mean, I was always a hard worker, but I was just wild. So like, that really calmed me down. I was like, man, if like, there's no way I should have made it through that. I better kind of get my stuff together. Right. Like just kind of not be going out, not doing this and that. So I just honestly flipped, flipped the scripts, you know, from, I remember that day forward, I was like, man, I'm going to, you know, rehab myself, get in good shape, like get my stuff together. So it, it actually played a benefit as far as the bodybuilding. I'm missing half a pectoral. I was going to get it filled in at one time and I had a good buddy of mine. He's like, man, don't get that filled in. I was like, why? He said, that is awesome. So I said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to keep it. <laughs> so, but anyways, um, you know, it do, they're not technically supposed to dock you points, right? Um, for a physical, whether it's a disability or anything like that. I'm not sure if they do or not, but my coaches uh, have a really good way of like hiding, it. you know, like the way we pose. Uh, for the man that's worth poses, we kind of get around it. And I've always said scars are a badass testimonial to the fact that you survived something really cool. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, we, we've all got them. Believe me, I've, I raced motocross for two years, way back in my early 20s. In my very first race, there's a these little starter bumps called whoop-de-doos. And I thought, well, I see these guys on TV all the time cruising right over the tops of those. So I tried it at full speed and I found out that those guys have practiced way more than I have. And I got through half of them, went flying. My feet came off the pegs and I was hanging from my handlebars. What happens on a motorcycle when you're hanging from your handlebars? You're opening the throttle all the way until the bike finally threw me and I landed. My leg hit a rock. So on the inside of my left knee, there's a giant thing of jelly filled, broken blood vessels and veins that are a reminder that I tried something really cool that does not look good <laughs> to this day. It wasn't as severe as what you've got, but every time I look down at it, I'm like, Hey, I gave it a shot. I tried. I'm still in the game. I could still ride if I want to. Uh, I just choose yeah. not to these days, a little more brittle than I was when I was 24. <laughs> Here you are these years later, you know, not just in great physical shape competing. I've seen pictures of you with medals hanging around your neck. I'm like, this guy's got the drive, man. He's doing the work. And and I love how you're grateful for the fact that this even happened to you. And most people would say, oh, this happened to me and it messed me all up. You're grateful for it. And, and you're grateful to your friend who told you, don't fix that, man. It's unique. It's cool. It's your power. It's your strength. It's a reminder of everything you've come through. Don't fake it just so other people will give you more points. You know, and there's there's a whole thing. And you and I share this, how much gratitude we have on a daily basis for other things that where most people are saying, well, I'm grateful for my, you know, my house, my partner, my health, whatever, where we're grateful for some of the weirdest things, what other people would think is weird, 
or off the wall or very, very specific things. So these days, that far removed from that accident, everything else you've gone through, what's it like? What are you grateful for on a daily basis? And you said something recently on social media that I loved. is difference between gratitude and complacency. So, you know, explain a bit of that, of how gratitude's a big part of your day and how you use it in such a way to keep you going and growing and not just settle and saying, hey, everything's great. Yeah, I think we, we've all had moments um, where we've, well, I think everybody, I hate speaking for everybody. I was going to speak for myself, I guess. Um, I've had moments to where I felt like I was stagnant, you know, and maybe I um, was getting complacent because things would get comfortable. Those didn't last very long, but I, I recognized them. And to be honest with you, to get out of being complacent, um, recognizing what I'm grateful for, um, you know, there's like a never ending list. Like you obviously have your, your core ones, right? They're always, you have these core ones that are usually the same, you know, your family, your friends, your dog, whatever. Right. And then when you start looking beyond that and you see that like this list doesn't really stop, you know, it's, it's easy to get out of complacency because you're like, man, there's like abundant opportunity. So I, I had that realization of, I've had it a lot, but when I made that post, um, it, it made me, you know, realize, uh, that those realizations is what keeps me pressing forward and, and kind of wanting more, what do they call it? Uh, blissfully, uh, content or I don't know what they call it, but anyways, like, like, yeah, where you want more, but you're grateful. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and a lot of people fall into that trap. They go, well, it's kind of good enough. Right. Like, really? Is that what you would want in your headstone? You know, here lies Steve. His life was good enough. It was okay. You know, he had, he had more to, to be thankful for than, than to complain about. And, and some people settle for that. It, it's kind of sad in a way, only because I've just been on this gratitude journey for so long. I've been a personal development for so long and always trying for my next best self. And one of my former uh, mentors, he's since passed, always said, brother, all we got to do together is is create the next best, ver- the next best version of yourself. I want to make sure I say it right. You know, this is the best version of yourself now with the people you choose to surround yourself with, the way you take care of yourself, honor yourself, the way you guide yourself through this life. And then let's create the next best version and i know you deal with people because i see the pictures you share of of other people that you may be working with or coaching on their health journeys in the condition people show up in your life at versus where you can help to get them and a lot of it is about looks versus health and it's a phrase that i've seen you use before and some people are so hung up on the looks but it's it's like a good looking car but under the hood it runs like garbage or it's not being maintained or cared for. What, what do you see as the, the differences or the uniqueness of each of those in, and how much more important health is versus just looks? That's a really good point. And that's a never ending battle. You know, everybody's first goal, which is completely understandable. Right. So I'm not saying it's not, it's just everybody's first goal is, Hey, I want that set of abs or I want those big arms. I want those big legs or whatever. And I always say, man, if we get the health part, right, those things are going to come, you know, but some of the crowd, they, they want to cheat, right. And they want to do certain things to, to get this aesthetic. And they're like, I'm healthy. I'm like, 
I'm not a doctor, but that's not the healthy way to go about it. You might be accomplishing your aesthetic goal, but I think we should clean up the inside, you know, and, and make it sustainable. You know, that's my biggest thing is like a, make a sustainable thing for, for people where they can live, be happy, have energy, not be puffy. And, you know, and if they want the aesthetics, those are going to come, you know. Yeah. And very, very important. And when you said puffy, I said, yeah, me two years ago, I'm, you know, I'm six foot two, so I could kind of carry it in a way. But I knew I uh, weighed 247 two years ago, which is the heaviest I've ever been was consuming a very tall rum and coke every evening to relax because, you know, I worked hard all day. I deserve this. Wasn't making yeah. the best food choices. No, I wasn't driving off the off a cliff here. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't that that bad, but it was consistently not good. And yeah. from hanging with people and getting to know people like yourself and and, you know, other people who are much healthier versions of themselves than they used to be tapping into their knowledge, watching your results and saying, well, hey, man, how do you do that? How do you do that? How'd you get this? How'd you switch from this to this? What's the best way to start my day? And if you pick the right, I don't hesitate to say heroes, because a lot of people will not admit that they're heroes, but you are to people like me who are out of shape. I see people who take care of themselves with intention, on purpose, with purpose. I like to say that a lot, not just the flavor of the month diet or fad or or you know, sculpting whatever is available to make everybody appear as though they're healthier. So I appreciate that you, I appreciate the fact that you weigh your food before you eat it. And I just go by size. Like Steve, what'd you <laughs> eat today? I don't know, but it was a medium and it had meatballs and provolone cheese and it was in a roll. So I don't know how much it weighed, but I don't know how much I weigh if I eat healthy versus not, you know, healthy right it, now is 222, not was 247. So yeah. that's where I'm at now. That's cool. Well, congrats. That's a lot of, it's a lot of weight you lost. That's, that's hard to do and to keep it off too. Yeah. That's another thing to be like working with folks, you know, you can get it off, but man, they put it right back on, you know? So that's, that's a big feat. And it's not snap of the finger. We see all these shows like the biggest loser where in a very short amount of time and probably not in a super healthy way. And, and again, not to be maintained People are promising these diet plans, these these workout things where all you have to do is this or these pills where they say you don't even have to do a single sit up or push up. The fat's just going to melt away. Well, me coming from a comedic background, I'm like, what part of your body do you think that fat's going to fall out of? You know, it's it's not going to be a pleasant experience. And if you don't change your habits, you're going to put more fat right back in and you're going to leak it back out the same way, you know, it came out the last time. So wouldn't it be better to develop better habits to be more consistent to show up every day and somebody sent me a message the other day steve oh my god you lost all that weight i gotta do it but i only have like two months to do it i'm like well you want to borrow my chainsaw just lop off one of your legs because you can lose it that quick yeah but it's going to impact the rest of your life in a negative way if you do that that's a good comparison yeah not super quick hey i'm up every day at five five thirty AM Monday through Friday, walk a mile to warm up just to get the rust out of my hip and lower back. Cause without stretching about a year and a half ago, I popped a muscle in there, you know, doing some ab rolls on the floor of my recording studio between uh, a video rendering. I'm like, I'm going to bust out, you know, 10, 20 reps. And I got about to the fourth one and I heard the pop in my hip and lower back and stretching is a really important part of my workouts now. <laughs> That is what I work with people on first. I say, look, give me eight weeks of just 
weighing your food. You do not have to do this for the rest of your life. But I say the point of this is you're going to know, we're going to figure out what food you like. We're going to figure out what portions go well with your body, with the body type you want. You're going to have your blood results, all this. You're going to be feeling good. You're going to be able to start to eyeball this stuff and you're going to be able to live like how you want to live, you know, but it's a very, very, very difficult to get people to do that eight weeks. You get, it's usually about the three week mark and they just start, Oh my God, I'm having trouble. And it just takes a lot of motivation. You know, that's where the real coaching comes in. And it's really just like you're a counselor, you know, but once they can get over, you know, that six week hurdle or so, there's some pretty good results. Yeah. And you shared a phrase with me when we first spoke about the science of health. And and that's what a lot of people I don't think understand. It's all these equations. It's things going on at the cellular level. It's not all in the bathroom mirror. And that's the path that you work so hard to take people down is to understand the science of health. You're the vegan bodybuilder when so many other people are out there touting these different ways to either bulk up or, or to get bigger or whatever. So where or when or, or what caused you in your life to take that course, which is so against, in my opinion, as a person who's not part of the, the bodybuilding community, what caused you to, to go that way with, with the direction for your health and fitness and what you consume and put into your body? That is an interesting question. So uh, it's been about six years. I went vegan six years ago. And I was in oil and gas. I'm a good old boy from, you know, South Texas. Vegan, like what's vegan, right? Like no way you would have told old Travis I would have been vegan. No way. Cowboy boots, cowboy hat, you know, the whole thing, right? It's how I grew up. I grew up on a, on a ranch raising animals. But anyways, um, I was watching a show called Forks Over Knives. And I just saw like the craziest stuff uh, like that was going on in the industry. And I didn't like it. So it was first uh, just, you know, a personal decision. And um, I was just like, man, I, I'm going to try to, I don't like this. You know, I was like, I always raised animals and stuff. And they were like my buddies growing up. And uh, now I'm seeing this. And I guess I never was on that part of it. Um, you know, let me, let me try this. And, and I'm kind of an extreme person. So I was like overnight, really, there wasn't any, um, conversion or anything. It was like next days, you know, I was just reading, I was eating salads. I didn't know what to eat. I was eating like lettuce. I dropped so much weight. I looked like I had cancer, you know? And, um, that's what got me. I said, I need to learn what I'm doing because I'm going to die. You know, like you can't just go vegan and eat plants and not know what you're doing. Cause the, you know, your normal everyday food, so packed full of calories will, you got to eat a lot more plant food, right, to uh, to uh, get those calories. And, you know, I, I enrolled into a bodybuilding, a vegan bodybuilding program by a guy that I ended up meeting and we end up talking a lot since. And he's actually famous in the vegan community, Nimai Delgado. He was in Game Changers. You know, I saw him on Game Changers, which was a show talking about different vegan athletes and what they're doing. So I reached out to him, got in his program and got coached by him for a couple of years. And, you know, he was the first, I think, the first vegan IFBB pro uh, bodybuilder. So he started this movement and he's pretty well known now, but I had a very good mentor. So I learned how to fuel my body. You know, uh, I just didn't know. Nice. And see, there's just another example of figuring out where you're at 
seeing who's out there either enjoying the life you want to enjoy or doing something that you want to learn more about. It doesn't matter where they are on the mountain. We have an opportunity right. to to choose the right mentors, to choose the right heroes, to not be blinded by the bling with all the BS that's out there and all the fake, but to look for the people who are really doing the work and are willing to, no matter how much higher they may be up the mountain, turn around and either sit on the rock and eat a salad and wait for you or reach their hand down. And if you're willing yeah. to do the work, to come on up and they'll pull you up and they'll uh, they'll walk with you in and share their journey along the way and give you some inspiration and where you take it from there is is really up to you but they come into our lives for a limited time sometimes but they stay in there forever so uh, as we wrap it up travis how can people learn more about you how can people learn if they're looking to be on a healthier journey what they can do to get hold of you and uh, what you might be able to teach them about how to treasure and value their personal machine to create a better, longer, healthier life, you know, health versus looks. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on, by the way. I really enjoyed this. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, pretty active on social media, Facebook, uh, Travis Wells, Instagram, Travis Clay Wells. My company is Fit Movement, which I'm a co-founder of, and um, we do have an application process for that. So just DM me. I like to make sure everybody's the right fit. I, we don't take every client, but I do have a free Facebook group, Fit Movement on Facebook. We provide uh, daily value, free value for anybody that you know wants to wants to come on. We even have free uh, challenges going on right now. So you know, jump in there and see see our challenges and try to like you know, try to, uh, try to take them on. And you got the coolest little dog that travels with you. Sometimes I've seen his pictures or her, whatever, uh, whatever your dog may be. And uh, I'm a dog guy myself. I had my amazing canine co-author and partner in crime, super Teddy for 11 years. And I just respect the heck out of people who, uh, who appreciate and love and take care of animals. His name's Hank. And, uh, he rides on my shoulders everywhere we go. The only reason he's not today is I got a meeting right when I leave here, but he goes everywhere and he's a famous dog around this town. So I've got tattoos of his paws, his actual paws, where he sits on my shoulders. Wow. Now that's dedication. All I did was write a book for Super Teddy, but I don't have a tattoo of his paws, although we have a paw print in some clay uh, upstairs. So he kind of lives on forever through all that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So a thank you to you, my friend, and a, a big hey to Hank. And I want to thank you for being a part of the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. For more information on how you can create a more vivid, focused future with the Vision Board Mastery Program, or to invite Steve to be part of your next event, please visit stevegamlin.com. <laughs>